Craft Beer Radio interview from Saver with Randy Mosier. We are here with Randy Mosier, author of uh, Radical Brewing, most people will know you from. And uh, we hear you have a new book coming out. I do. Uh, it's uh, called, at this point, it's called Tasting Beer. And it's really, just like the title says, it's a sort of a how-to manual to become an expert beer taster. So we start kind of with the first principles of your anatomy and your nose and your mouth and how all that stuff works and uh, build up a vocabulary of beer flavors based on the brewing process. And uh, then we talk about serving, glassware, the qualities of beer, head, color, um, body, texture, haze, all those sorts of things. Uh, talk about uh, serving and presenting beer properly. And then about the, the back third of the book is sort of a uh, compendium of beer styles and a rewriting of the history of English, German, Belgian, and American craft beer. So people kind of understand where these flavors, really kind of written from a flavor point of view, like where do these flavors come from and what are the things, the technological reasons or tax reasons or whatever, the various reasons that certain styles evolve. So that's the book. It should be out in uh, about April of uh, 2009, looks like. So in some sense, it's kind of a combination of an encyclopedia and cliff notes of beer. Well, it's just a, it's not exhaustive and it's designed to be sort of a, a reference that you could take with you to a beer festival and having your hotel room and look up stuff and it's just designed to kind of train yourself to really recognize all the flavors in beer and to kind of deconstruct a beer a little bit you know when you taste something what's that what are those multi flavors where do they come from maybe what was the recipe of the beer how did yeast influence the flavor what are those aromas in there uh, what about hops what about you know all that other stuff so uh, do you use like basic standards of the style as barometers and say like try this beer to see if you can find these flavors in it well we offer for all of the style examples we offer a, a, a list of commercial beers to try we tried to split that up between some widely available beers that everybody in the country could get and and then maybe some more local specialties that are very very highly rated but not everybody can get so we wanted to try and make them really good choices but a mix of uh, really rare and exotic and and more widely available beers so well, sounds great. I really wanted to compliment you again on the fantastic session you guys did earlier. I thought you guys did a great job with the, the session about teaching people all about how to uh, mix food and beer together. It was really great. Well, thanks, Ray. I mean, we love we, we love doing that because it, it you know people feel so passionate about beer and it's such great subject matter. There's so much to talk about. There's so many things that beer has to offer, and it's just really great fun to do. So it kind of makes its own presentation in a lot of ways. Was it you or was it Jim who had the observation that there was, I'm sorry, so, so long ago I don't quite remember, that there was like fake foods and now there's real foods. That there was, the, you know, the, we had the fake stuff and now there's the real sort of culinary foods. In a sense, now we had a fake beer and now there's real beer. Uh, that would have been Garrett last oh, night. Okay. Yeah, that's Garrett's pitch. And uh, that's a good one too, you know, I mean, and part of it is you have to think about where we've been in this country and and a hundred years ago or more we were this melting pot country and everybody from ireland and germany and poland and wherever else they came from were were trying very hard to be real americans and there were a lot of different ways that 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 they worked that through but one of the things they did was by enjoying national brands of products campbell's soup heinz pickles you know and there were other brands in different kinds of categories but everybody kind of uh, bought these brands and because they were sharing these brands they felt a commonality between them and certainly in food you know you have uh, 
Kraft Cheese, Wonder Bread in the 30s. I mean, this sort of went on. And and, and the other thing about it was modernness. You know, just that uh, that notion of modernity. We don't think about that much in, in our modern in our world today. We're kind of like we've had enough of that, and a lot of that proved to be. Uh, good on paper, you know, but not so good in practice. And so sliced bread, you know, that was like, I mean, we still use it as a metaphor for one, for greatness, like great ne- next big thing since sliced bread. And it's like, really, that wasn't such a great thing, it turns out, you know. So, but anyway, that was that pendulum swung from 1870 or so till 1970 or so, maybe a little bit longer. So, so what? I think people got to the end of that line and said, "Well, gee, we're kind of down to nothing here, you know." And yeah, we're all Americans now, but boy, are we boring, you know? And Garrett's right; he talks about the, those fake products, and they really are. They really don't have. They, as he says, they look like bread, but it ain't bread, you know. And and so people are really looking to find products that move them somehow you know they want to get excited by their food and drink and that's of course that's what the italians have figured out thousands of years ago and they live that and europeans really that's part of their lifestyle and i think enough people have traveled over to to europe and you see that you taste that it's like why can't we do that here you know and yeah and of course we can but we're still we're still struggling to get those kind of products in the grocery stores and get you know get it everywhere but but i think you know it's it's not a fad this is a long range trend you know that we can grow into and really make it part of our national culture here hopefully so that's what we're all really in the biggest in the biggest sense i think that's what everybody here is really working for so i think it's really interesting that the fake food does kind of go well with the fake beer i think your your budweiser goes well with your doritos that's sort of no, nothing nothing makes nothing tastes so good with nothing as another nothing i mean yeah. it's you know and i mean i don't want to knock those products because they're they're brewed with ex- exquisite capability but at you know at, at when it comes right down to it they don't have a lot of interest in them there's not a lot of there there so but what do you get? Yeah, what do you? We have all this, uh, you know, like the comparisons. We have all this, you know, great renaissance and great food. Now that we have this new renaissance and great beer, it's really coming together. This is what I, you know. This this event has been spectacular. I think it's really. I hope it's showing people. I hope it's giving people more insight, even though it's preaching to the choir in some sense. Well, I think these are the insiders here, but but it never hurts to have a little pep rally, right? And so people are going to take this back, and you know, some of them are in beer clubs. Some of them will do this thing both casually in their own homes, and 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 try and get more of these kinds of events uh, started elsewhere, which would be just awesome, you know. Because I think people are kind of they like the beer festivals, but it's nice to have something that's a little more educational, a little more food oriented. Uh, in Chicago, with our Chicago Beer Society, we try and have a food component with every event. And sometimes it's more of a focus than others, but we think that's really an important part of beer to present it in, in context with, with food. And, and uh, so we try very hard to do that. So Now, unless I'm mistaken, you've written some other books, but I'm drawing a blank on what they are. Do you want to plug any other books that you've written? I love plugging books. Uh, my first book was called... Uh, Brewer's Companion. Um, fairly hard to find these days, but uh, it's a it was sort of a, a book full of charts and graphs and tables to help you get your homebrew self-organized and, and brew kind of with some structure. Uh, the most recent book is Radical Brewing, published by the Brewers Association or the Brewers Publications. And that's a really kind of a walk through 
10,000 years of brewing history and trying radical in the sense that these are extreme beers, but also radical in the sense of these are where the roots of beer really are anyway, you know? So trying to point out that it's all been done and and more than you can ever imagine, you know, you go back in history and, and just, just to get people... There's a lot of homebrew books are about how to make beer, but this is about why to make beer. This is about ideas. It's about art. And, and uh, you know, I hear from a lot of people saying, yeah, I was kind of at a point where I didn't, wasn't quite sure I wanted to keep brewing. and didn't really know what I wanted to make. And then I read your book, and there's all these ideas in it. And it really got me going again, So, which is always gratifying as an author to hear that you're touching people in some way like that. So that's what it's about, is to kind of get you fired up and get you ideas and get you thinking about beer as, as, a, as a storytelling medium in a way, you know. Essentially, you say it's all been done, because I always thought that in the past, beer was kind of thought of as a commodity way, you know, 100, 200 years ago, and, and way before then. It wasn't really considered a luxury, and they didn't make it as a luxurious drink. It was just a way to keep water fresh, essentially. And But you're saying that all this super hoppy stuff? No, no, no. That's really not the case. At the earliest we have written documentation for beer, that's the ancient Sumerians, I think, 4,000 B.C. or so. So 5,000 years ago, we had light beer, dark beer, strong beer, weak beer, fresh beer, sour beer, red beer, black beer, brown beer. And, in fact, they invented light beer. There's a word in Sumerian, ebla, which means literally to lessen the waste. So 5,000 years ago, the ancient Sumerians not only were concerned about being fat from beer drinking, the brewers responded to a consumer need by creating a product that was lighter in some way that would not make you fat, which is pretty cool. You know, I mean, that's 5,000 years ago. It is really cool. I mean, I just had, uh, we just had Beer de Mars from Jolly Pumpkin there. Oak Age, 27 month, you know, it's probably one of the best beers I've ever had. Just to think, because I, I thought that was such a unique beer, just to think that maybe someone did something like that before. Has gone through that sort of thing. Well, I, I'm working on a project right now from a that's out of a Belgian brewing book from 1851, and it's the damnedest stuff you ever saw. These recipes, these 20-hour boils, uh, recipes where you actually brew and ferment beers separately and blend them together, uh, beers that have chalk added to the boil to make the beer dark, beers where you mash in and five minutes later you drain off all that enzyme-rich liquid and boil it. I mean, and, and we've got, I'm giving a talk at the AHA conference next month, and I've got a number of people who are brewing up some of these ancient recipes just to see what happens when you try and do that, you know, what, what do you get in a modern setting with modern grains, and can we get anywhere close to it, you know, so uh, that's really fun to go back and try and do that. And my experience is, now these are challenging recipes, so we'll see how we do, but my experience has been when you go back and, and try and brew those old beers, you find those old guys knew what they were doing, you know, you look at, you look at it and you think, I don't know. I don't know, 100% smoked wheat malt with 40 IBUs of bitterness. I don't know. It doesn't seem right. And then you put it together and you do it. It's like, oh, my God, this is so good. So my assumption always is that the good beers were always great, that there were always people. They're just as smart as we were, and they didn't have technology, but they were very, very attuned to their senses and using their using their eye, their sight and their, their sense of touch and everything to make sure that they had their process just the way they wanted it. And I think that the best, and you certainly people wrote poems about them. They had gods and goddesses. You know, beer was beloved product, and it wasn't just because it got people loaded. You know, it really was a special product, and it still is. And you know, that aspect of culture, that aspect of beer is what really makes it unique uh, in the word of, world of food and drink. It's, it's really extraordinary to be involved with that. So. 
Sounds great. Thank you so much, Randy. We really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks. Thanks for talking. Thanks, and we hope you enjoyed this Craft Beer Radio coverage of Savor. To find more, visit www.craftbeerradio.com slash Savor. Craft Beer Radio is released under the Creative Commons license. Visit www.craftbeerradio.com for more details.